we need smart pharmacists. And <laughs> I know where to go to to get my, my prescription. Take your Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. We're going to finish out. I'm going to finish a series. Praise the Lord. Hey, I've, done, I've finished some other series, but I never finished the series of Jonah a, year, a couple of years ago when I started it. And, and so I started it again with VBS, and I thought, you know what? We'll finish it. <laughs> that way, that way uh, you, can't, you can't, make fun about, uh, can't make fun of me about it anymore. Yes, you can. Of course you can. That'll, that won't stop anybody. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah's an interesting book. And many times I told, I told my kids this morning, or a couple of my kids, that I was preaching on Jonah again today. And, and Zeke goes, the whale! I said, we already talked about the whale. And he says, what, is there? what else is there? Because that's really what we think most of the time. We think of Jonah being told to go to Nineveh and to, to, to preach the gospel, and, and uh, he refuses to go. And we've covered this. So we, we talked about the, the six, uh, six signs of, of running away from the Lord. That was the first uh, message of the series. Last, last week we covered, uh, we covered or in the afternoon service, we also talked about, uh, about Jonah and his, uh, how God used him in, 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 in Nineveh uh, despite himself. Right? And, and, and God blessed in that, in, in that ministry. And, and it wasn't because of Jonah. I'm so grateful that it, God uses us despite ourselves. He doesn't need a perfect preacher uh, to be able to get out a message. Uh, the work of God goes, goes out and, and works in our hearts despite us sometimes. And, and listen, to, in my case, it's all the time. <laughs> it's all God's grace. Can I, can I, can I say that? It's, it's, it's never the person behind the pulpit. It's never the person uh, serving. It's all God's grace in our lives. And I, I, I so appreciate that. But as I studied through this and preparing for this message, and, and I didn't just steal the one I never preached before. This is, this, uh, I was studying again, and, and, and something struck me. And there are four separate times we, we look at Jonah and how God got a hold of Jonah. The first time God spoke to Jonah, and God gave Jonah uh, the message. You see that in Jonah chapter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And man, God is a God of second chances. And in in chapter 3, he did the same thing, right? Uh, He he came, and the word of the Lord came again a second time unto Jonah. And he gave him the same message. Arise, go to Nineveh to preach preach unto the people. But the word came to Jonah. Jonah knew exactly what the word of God was. Uh, it, It infiltrated his mind. He knew what God wanted to do, to do. He knew who God was. In fact, we find in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, we, he knew very much about God, that God was gracious and merciful and, 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 and inclined to, to, to show mercy uh, when, when people would repent. And, and so he knew much about God. In, in his mind, he knew a whole lot about God. And listen, there are a lot of people that know a lot about God. They know, the, they know a lot about the Word of God. They, they can quote you verses. They can quote you doctrine. They can quote you a, a, a whole lot about what God has to say, but that's all, of, that's all of them that God has. Man, that's a problem. When all that God has of you is your mind. Now, when I, when I say that, understand that all you have is a knowledge of who God is. But, but God has much more to offer us than just the knowledge of who he is. But we see that he had the knowledge, and he he rejected that knowledge. He ran away from it, and and God reached out and got a hold of him uh, in the middle of the, the, the in the middle of the ocean, in the bottom of that boat. God woke him up. 
He sent somebody to do it. He got cast overboard. And the second thing that we see that Jonah came to uh, where, where, where God got a hold of him and God did something was his will. In chapter, in chapter 2, you read, and stu- read of how he came to the, the end of himself and he fainted. And what happened was his will was broken in chapter 2. He said, look at it with me if you would, Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, it says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple, that they that, the, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. Notice this, this I, I have this underlined, I will pay that that I have vowed. He says, I'll do what you told me to do. I'll do what I said I would do in the first place. You told me you'd give me your message, and I told you I would do it. So I'll do it. There's a difference between doing something and having your heart to do it. Isn't there? Some people, they obey out of fear. If I was holding a gun to you and I said, give me all your money, put all your money in the offering plate before you go, you don't get out of here without giving me your money, you might do it. Now, there's a whole bunch of you. You might just beat me up and take my gun away from me. But if I had just a couple of you here, and, and I was holding a gun on you, and you were afraid, you might just put your money in the offering plate before you left. The result would be, for me, I'd get the money. You put it in, but you did it out of fear. God doesn't want us to obey out of fear. He wants us, he want, I'm getting ahead of myself, he wants us to obey out of love. And while Jonah's will was broken here, and he agreed to do what he said he would do, and he admitted that salvation is of the Lord in that very passage. And in the very next, in the very next chapter, you see, we talked about it last week, man, he ran to Nineveh. A three days journey he made in one day, and he began to preach, and he preached and preached, and, and it wasn't a, a long message, it wasn't a, it wasn't a pleading message, it just, just was, God's going to destroy this place in 40 days. Good luck. I don't know how many times he said it. I don't know to how many people he spoke to, but the right person heard it because news got to the king, and the king said, "Listen, God's going to destroy this place." The Bible says in chapter three that, or chapter three, that they believed the word of the Lord, and so they, they had faith in what Jonah said that the word of God was true, and they trusted in that, and 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 they repented of their sin from from the king all the way down to the poorest person, uh, uh, from the, the the pauper to the king. Uh, they even made their cattle uh, to fast, and and they all put on sackcloth and ashes, and they. Repented and they cried out, just in case God might show mercy. So, so God has Jonah's mind, the knowledge of God. He has his will and he has his body because he's been obedient. And he's kept the vow that he, that he promised. He, would, he did everything that he was supposed to do. He had a knowledge of who God was. He was willing to be obedient to God and he was obedient to God. And if we ended the story right there at the end of chapter 3, Jonah's the hero. Jonah's the guy that we would all respect. He's the guy that, yes, he made a mistake, but he got right with the Lord, and, and he went and he preached. And man, God worked a great and mighty revival because it wasn't just 120,000 people that got saved. Uh, the 120,000 mentioned at the end of the chapter, chapter 4, is those that don't know the right hand from the left. It's referring to the children. There was, there was upwards to 600,000 or more uh, people uh, in the city. I said, uh, uh, I said uh, up to possibly a million I guess it's possible, but I, I, from what their estimates are, I was wrong. It was about 600,000 people in the city. But they got saved. They got right with God. They repented. These were the enemies of God who their lives have changed, and that wasn't expected. Man, God can do a great work. 
But then we read chapter 4, verse 1. And what do we see? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What did? The work of God. The work of God displeased Jonah exceedingly. The fact that God was merciful to somebody. Even though it was good for God to be merciful to him, when he cried out in the belly of that whale, he didn't, he didn't think that they deserved mercy. Now, I understand there was a hatred for the people of Nineveh. They were the Amalekites. They were wicked people. And God was going to use them to, to take over the, the ten northern kingdoms here uh, shortly, uh, years down the road, uh, a generation or so later. But I want you to understand, uh, he hated them because of their wickedness. But God showed mercy, and it displeased Jonah. So, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. There are some things that we can look at here in Jonah's life that show us that while he was obedient to God, he was used of God, he served God, God had his heart, or God had his will, he had the knowledge of God, God did not have Jonah's heart. God did not have Jonah's heart. The first thing we see here is, is this, that his angry attitude the word of the Lord, sorry, it says it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. When you, don't, when you don't rejoice at the work of God, there is a problem with your heart. The work of God has just taken place. Uh, six million people uh, uh, have just, uh, just uh, come, come to God and begin to follow God, repented of it, and there was no rejoicing in his heart. Do you know what he actually did? He went out, and we'll read this here in, in, in a few moments. He went out, and, and, and when God asked him a question here, he says, are you right to be angry? And he doesn't answer, by the way, and we'll get to that in a minute. But he goes out and he builds himself a booth. He gets up on the side of the hill, builds a booth, and he waits to see in hopes that God will still punish the people. He's, he's upset because the people repented. He's upset because he knows that God is merciful. He is angry when he's not, he's not rejoicing over the work of God. If you're not going to rejoice over the work of God, if there's no joy in your heart because of what God is doing, can I tell you there's a problem in your heart? It is too easy to get caught up in the, in, in the, just the, the works of church. I come to church, I do what I'm supposed to do, I, I'm there, uh, I, 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 you go through the motions. But listen, it isn't about the, the, the motions. There's a reason why we give, there's a reason why we serve. But if you're doing it for the wrong motive, if you're doing it because you're supposed to, if you're doing it because you're expected to be here, if you're here just because I called you and I routed you out of bed, that's the wrong reason to come to church. We should, we should have a desire in our hearts to be here. We should have a desire uh, not just to see one another, though we, that's good and, and, and okay, but we should also have a desire to see God. We should have a desire to, to see somebody saved. 
We should have a desire to, to hear the, the word of God preached. We should have a desire to, to, to see somebody get baptized and we all rejoice. Uh, to have somebody join the church and we all get excited about God doing a work that, listen, we can't do. There should be joy in our hearts. The Bible says that when one person comes to repentance, there's joy in the presence of the angels. Now, I used to think, the angels are rejoicing. No, he says, there's joy in the presence of the angels. There's joy in the heart of God. When people rejoice, or when people repent and come unto him. But if we can come and, 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 and there not be any joy, why do we have so many Christians that claim the name of Christ, but there's no joy? Jonah had no joy. He was angry. So not only do we see that when you don't rejoice at the work of God as a, as a sign of a problem, there's, we also have this, his adamant attitude. His adamant attitude. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying <laughs> when I was yet in my country? Isn't this what I said back there in Israel when you told me to come here? That you're a good God? And Listen, it's not recorded. His heart isn't recorded in chapter 1. All we see in chapter 1 is God told him to arise and go, and he got up and he, he went the wrong way. But, but here he's revealing to us his heart. He said, listen, this was, this was what I said back then. This is why I ran away the first time. Because I knew you were good. I knew you were gracious. I knew that you are merciful. And I was going to come here and do what you said. And they were going to get right. And you were going to repent of the evil. You, were going to, you weren't going to destroy them like you said you would. Look at all that Jonah just went through. And think about it. The, the trials and the tribulations that he went through. Uh, the, the, the storm, the being cast into the sea, the being swallowed by a whale, and being in the belly of the whale for three whole days till he came to the end of himself and said, I will do what you said what you sent me to do. Even though he went through all those things and ultimately became obedient to the word of God, his attitude never changed. Because when God worked, and when, 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 people got, when people came to, came to the Lord in, in repentance, he was angry. He was adamant. It didn't change. How many times can the work of God come upon your life and men will stand there stiff-necked, hard-hearted? We may bend our will and we may bend and be obedient, but our, our heart isn't in it. Can I tell you, if your heart's not in it, God's not done with you yet. God's gonna, God, in fact, the, the work of God isn't finished yet. When we look at the book of Jonah, we see God working with Jonah in, on, on his obedience and on his reception and on his preaching of the, the will of God. In the end here, he's working on his heart. Because what happens is, he goes up there, he, he, he builds this booth, and he tries to sit in the shade of it. And it's hot out there in the desert. Has, have you ever sat out in the desert sun? With that sun just beating on you? And it's, 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 it's just sapping the strength from you? Let's look and see what happened. Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth. He sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. This guy is going on his ups and downs. He's exceedingly angry. He's, he's distressed. He's upset. Now he's exceedingly glad. In a moment, he's going to say, Lord, just kill me. Why? 
Because not only did God send a gourd, but God's going to send a worm for the gourd. And then once the worm eats the gourd and kills it, he rises up in a day, he goes down in a day. God's going to send him a vehement east wind. Vehement means it's scorchingly hot. It's that wind that would come from the east and just, just seem to tear the soul right out of you. And he's angry about the death of the gourd. See, God's not done working on him yet, but, uh, but one of the problems that we can see here is, is, if, is if, if, if we have refused to, to, to change our spirit, if we have refused to change our attitude, that is still a sign that God doesn't have a heart. Can I tell you, that's all God really wants. Yes, God wants our obedience and God wants our sacrifice. But what did David say? He said, Lord, if you wanted my sacrifice, I'd give it. But you want the sacrifice of a contrite spirit and a broken heart. Jonah didn't have that yet. He had an adamant attitude. He refused to change. And then he was just apathetic. Look back at Jonah chapter 4. Verse, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, take, I beseech you, my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I read it with, with emphasis, but I'm pretty sure that's how he prayed it. God, is just not fair. There are wicked people, and you're giving them mercy, and I didn't want that mercy. That's why I ran away in the first place. God, you should just kill me and kill me now. That's my version, but that's, what, that's really what he was saying. Life was done. Life was over. It's not worth living because God didn't, get, God didn't work in the way I wanted him to work. See, when, when it, it's all about Jonah. See, there's somebody that sits on the throne of each one of our hearts. And if it's God that sits on your heart and God's, God's will is your desire. But when you sit on the throne of your heart, man, what you want is what's most important. And if you'll notice, Jonah's response says, I knew, I fled. Look at verse, chapter 4, it says, uh, verse 4, verse 2 says, When I was yet in my country, therefore, he says, uh, Pray unto the Lord, I pray thee, O Lord, was not in the saying, When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled from before, the, before Tarshish, because I already knew, for I knew that thou art a gracious God. Because I knew this was going to happen, I fled, I, I wanted, but you didn't give it to me. It's all about him. When selfishness rises up, rises up within us and we're focused more on what we want than what God wants, can I tell you, God does not have your heart. But God, this is difficult for me. Listen, anything, there are things that are difficult in our lives. Sometimes those difficulties are brought upon us by our own choices, just like Jonah. Sometimes it's brought on for the glory of God, just like Job. But can I tell you, God is in control all the time. And if God has our heart, in the end we'll praise God like Job did, instead of get angry at God like Jonah did. He was apathetic and just wanted to die. And then his dismissive response, verse, verse 3 says, God asked Jonah a question. Sorry, verse 4. Verse 4 said, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well 
to be angry. God is confronting him in his sin. I don't know about you, but when God confronts me in my sin, I get kind of, uh, it humbles me. There's some fear. And there should be. Right? There, there, should, there should be a humility when, when the word of God convicts me of my sin. He says, God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry? What's Jonah's response? He doesn't say a word. He packs up. He goes and builds that booth. And he's going to wait and see what's going to happen. Can, we, can I tell you, when we begin to dismiss the word of God, the convicting word of God, whether it's preached or whether it's read or whether a brother has come alongside of you, when we begin to do that, can I tell you, God does not have our hearts. Because when God has our hearts and he confronts us in our sin, there will be a different response than what Jonah had. Jonah, verse 7 says, God prepared a worm to deal with that gourd. I tell you, when your happiness and your joy is only circumstantial, maybe God has your heart, or God doesn't have your heart. See, Jonah was, was angry, ready to die, until that gourd came along. And then, a, a gourd, it's not talking about like it's not a gourd that grows in your garden. It's talking about a large plant with big leaves and, and that provided a lot of shade. And man, he was thankful for that, for that gourd. He was thankful for that shade. And then, but then, verse 7, God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, it smote the gourd, that it withered. So it withered and died, and there went Jonah's shade. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared of a heminent east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Here is Jonah's gone up and down it's like a roller coaster. He's happy, he's sad. It all has to do with whether he's getting his will, getting what he wants or not, whether he's, whether his circumstances are good or not. And listen, when our happiness and our joy has to do with our circumstances, can I tell you, God does not have your heart. Because if God has your heart, it doesn't matter what your circumstances, you'll still praise him and you'll still be thankful for the mercy that he showed you. Jonah should still be sitting in that sun saying, I am glad there is sun because it's a whole lot better than laying in the belly of a whale. Instead, he's, he's, I should just die. Can I tell you, God doesn't care about our obedience so much when it's not driven by our love for him. God doesn't care how much you know about him in the Bible if it doesn't bring you to love him. God doesn't care about the externals that we see if it's not driven by a love for God. Because all God is trying to do here is to gain Jonah's heart. See, he asked Jonah that question again. He says, he says in verse 8, or verse 9, And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? I remember when he said, said that about the nation, the nation or the city of Nineveh, six hundred thousand people. He didn't even answer. Here he says, "Does thou well to be angry for the gourd?" He said, "I do well to be angry, even unto death, <laughs> over a plant." 
No, we, we can sit here and we can laugh and we'll, we'll make fun of Jonah all we want because he was upset over a plant but not upset over people. But how many times do we get upset over the things in our life that aren't going the way we want and, and the things in our life that we, that we don't get? How, much, how many times are we upset about that but not upset over the, the thousands of people that live all around us that are dying and on their way to hell? Because can I tell you that what God is trying to show Jonah is that, listen, you didn't put any effort into building that, growing that plant. Uh, you didn't put any effort into, into, listen, you got nothing out of it. And you should be praising God that you had a day of shade out of it. But, and, and now it's dead and you're angry at God over this. Where God says, there were 600,000 people, 120,000 children in the city of Nineveh, and you didn't care. And it ends there. Jonah doesn't respond to, to this. He says, uh, it's, verse 11 says, And should, I not, should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein thou art six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and the left hand and also much cattle? He goes, isn't it, wouldn't it be, isn't it better for me to spare them than to spare a gourd? And you're all concerned about a gourd. You're, you're concerned about your things, Jonah. You're concerned about yourself. Your heart is in your hands and you're sitting on the throne. Can I tell you, God doesn't want that in our lives. Now, I am grateful that I don't believe that was the end of Jonah because they believe Jonah wrote this book. And if Jonah wrote it, what he did here was show his heart. He did something nobody else could do. He showed his heart and the wickedness in his heart. And I, I, I pray that he came to a point at this, after this, that not trying to make himself a hero, but realizing... His heart was wrong in the first place. Now, I, as I was thinking about this and meditating on it, there are some things that when God does have a heart, that will change, be different from Jonah. When God has your heart, you'll find joy in your relationship with God despite the circumstances around you and despite whether or not you get what you want. So how do you know that? First John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Turn there with me, if you would. It's toward the end. It's right before 2 John. 1 John chapter 1 says this in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, and speaking of Jesus, by the way, that ye also uh, may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying, we're, uh, he goes, we're going to tell you what we have seen, what we've heard, so that you can see that we have fellowship with him, and so that you can have fellowship with him too. And these things write we unto you, what? That your joy might be full. Our joy is, the fullness of our joy is based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know how I know that? Not just from that, but, but also if we look back to uh, Psalm chapter 51, verse 12. David in his sin, his, uh, David in his life has sinned against God uh, in his sin of, uh, with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, having Uriah killed and, 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 and committing adultery. And in Psalm 51, he says, Return unto me the joy of my salvation. What's happened? The relationship that he had once had with the Father, his shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That relationship was severed, that uh, was, was broken, was fractured because of the sin in his life. And he, when he was confronted in his sin, he humbled himself and said, God, please forgive me and return to me that joy. Why? Because he lost it. See, our joy comes in that, that, that relationship that we have as we can commune with him. We can see his mercy. We can see his grace in our lives. Listen, Jonah knew that God was gracious. Jonah knew that God was merciful. It was okay as long as it was just for him because he was selfish. 
But when, we, when God has our heart, we'll find our joy in our relationship. When God has our, our heart, your love will affect your behavior. See, Jonah's behavior wasn't based upon his love for God. If it was done, he would have, if that, that was the case, he would have immediately got up in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, and it said that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. But it doesn't say that. If we truly love God, our, 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 our obedience will be based upon our love for who he is. Jesus teaches that in 14, John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, he actually says exactly that. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Many times uh, we're not obedient. We say, well, it's because of this or that. But says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus also said later, uh, later on, paraphrasing, he says, if you, you say that you love me, but you don't keep my commandments, you don't do the things that I say. Uh, listen, uh, what there is is there's a connection between our obedience to the word of God and our love for God. If we love him, we will do what the word says. We will follow him. We will be obedient. Listen, God, isn't, it isn't so much about the obedience. It's about our heart. Jonah, God had Jonah's obedience in chapter 3, but he still didn't have his heart. Look with me to 1 John chapter 5. It's the same 1 John you read a few minutes ago. First John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3. This is this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. God's word here tells us that if we love God, we'll keep his commandments and it won't be, it won't be grievous, it won't be tedious, it won't be hard, it won't be discouraging to have to do it. It's, it's, it, it amazes me how many times that we'll see, we'll be, we'll be, God will call us to do something, or God's word will instruct us to do something. I'm like, man, that, that, that I don't know that I can fit that in my schedule. I don't, I, really? Is that really what you want me to do? You really want me to, I'm going to step on toes now, you really want me to put money in the offering? Really, Lord? I don't know, by the way, I don't know who gives and who doesn't. I, I, I honestly have no idea. But when we find it tedious, listen, if you're giving, but you're giving tediously, well, that says we're supposed to give with a grateful heart. Not because we, we have to. Well, I know I got to, so here you go, grudgingly giving it. That's not how we're supposed to tithe. It's God's money anyways. Our love will affect our behavior. That's why Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, do you want to do my will? He didn't say, do you want to live for me? He said to Peter, do you love me? In fact, he said it so many times that Peter the third time says, Lord, why are you saying this? You know that I love you. And the response is the same every time, feed my sheep. Our love for God 
will affect our behavior. If God has our heart, not only will we find joy in our relationship with him, not only will it affect our behavior, but we'll begin to love what God loves. It's still there in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. It says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. Jesus told the disciples that we should be known for our love for one another. One of the, in 1 John chapter 3, you don't need to turn there. In 1 John chapter 3, one of the indications of salvation is, in how, is that the love of God dwells in us so much that when we see a brother in need and we have the ability to help, that we help. And it goes on to say that if you don't, that if you shut up the bowels of mercy, you, 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 you keep that, back, that help back, it says, then how does the love of God dwell in you? How do, how do we know that God has a heart? We love what he loves. You know what he loves more than anything else? People. He loves people. See, it was his love for people that sent him to die on that cross. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 says, For the joy that was set before him, that was you and I. He endured the cross, suffering the shame for you and for me. He loved people. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He loves people. The Bible says that, he, that he's not slack concerning his promise, uh, but his long-suffering to usward, uh, that, that he would not have any to perish. He loves people. Can I, can I tell you, God loves you and I. God loves the world more than he does anything else. And God desires your heart, and, and he desires your love for him, and he desires you to love others. How can we say that we love others if we... How can we honestly say that we love others if we don't really have a heart to share the gospel with others? Let's just be honest with ourselves. The whole reason Christ came was to die so that people might live. He became sin for us that knew no sin so that, he could become, that we could have the right, his righteousness. And he's given us the commission. He's given us the command. He's given us the call. However you want to say it, he wants us to go and tell others about him. But we're so caught up in our own things that we don't. Now listen, I'm not saying that there's any specific one way that you have to tell others about Jesus. I'm not saying that you have to come out with me on, uh, on Saturdays to knock doors. That's one way. You can tell somebody else by taking a, uh, going over to your neighbor's house, inviting, inviting them over for dinner, and bringing, make, building a relationship and, and bringing up the gospel. There are a million different ways, but can I tell you, they, they all end with you sharing the gospel. And if what you're doing is not sharing the gospel, you're not loving people like God would have you to love them. And if God has your heart, you will lovingly Follow in obedience and do what he's called us to do. And you will love others. This is one of the most, one of the greatest things that God has called us to do.
and sometimes one of the least things followed through with. We can make our excuses. COVID-19, nobody wants me to knock on the doors. Well, you know, I'm just not, that's not my personality. I don't think it was anybody's personality. Jesus told the disciples he would make them to become fishers of men. God has your heart, your lovely loves. Lastly, and I'm finished, and nobody believes me, but it's true. When God has your heart, you'll repent at the convicting word of God. See, Jonah was asked the question, are you right to be angry? The first time he's asked in chapter 4, he doesn't say anything. And as far as we can see, in chapter, at the end of chapter 4, he doesn't see anything because it ends with verse 12. But we can look to Scripture to see what, would happen, what happens when God had, look, Turn back with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is my last point, but it doesn't mean it's the last passage. 1 Samuel chapter 15. I can tell you the story, but I want you to see very closely what Saul does here. Look at verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Stop there, just for a moment. Samuel was the prophet. God had told Samuel to tell Saul to go kill Agag and the Amalekites and destroy him and wipe him off the face of the earth. There would be nothing left of him. Saul and the Israeli army went in and they, they won the battle, but they kept the king alive as a trophy. They kept the cattle because, well, you know, money, right, greed. And, and so they did not follow what God had told them to do. The prophet comes along because God tells the prophet, hey, they did, uh, Saul has disobeyed me and he's no longer going to be the king. He's going to take his hand off of him and, and uh, in, in the end, take the kingship away from him. But, but uh, he, so he sends Samuel, and so Samuel walks up, and Saul says, Hey, we have done all that God has said that we're supposed to do. And then Samuel says, What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep and the cattle then? <laughs> I, I hear something that I didn't hear before. I want you to see Saul's response. See, when, when, when Samuel said, then what does this mean? What's the, what's the sound of the, the, the bleeding of the sheep and the, the lowing of the cattle mean? Saul's response was this. They have brought them from the, the Amalekites. For the people spare the best of the sheep and of the, uh, of the oxen to sacrifice them to the Lord. <laughs> Who's they? Everybody else but me. It's not my fault. The people, they, they wanted to do it, and they spared Agag because the people wanted it. What's he doing? Is he taking ownership for his sin? No. No, he's not. He's, he's confronted in sin, and he says, no, no, it's not my fault. And keep reading. If we continue to read, he's confronted in sin, and eventually he says, okay, uh, well, I, I'm, uh, I was sorry I was wrong because I listened to the people. Even in that, he's still trying to put it off. 
And he says, come sacrifice with me so the people know that, that God's still with me. This is the last time that Samuel ever came to the king. Why? Because when he was confronted in his sin, instead of repenting, he reflected. How many times when, when we see scripture, we'll reflect, well, you know, I, I wouldn't do this if I didn't have to, but, you know. Now we turn over to Second Samuel, chapter 12. Second Samuel chapter 12, we have here another king. In fact, his predecessor. Who did something that I would say, most people would say, is much worse than what King Saul did. I mean, King Saul didn't kill all the enemies. He left the king alive as a trophy. Took some of the spoils. But King David, not only did he not go to war when he was supposed to go to war, put himself in a place of temptation. When he was tempted, he gave in wholeheartedly to that temptation. He saw a woman bathing herself. He had her brought unto him, committed adultery. And when he found out she was pregnant, he hid the sin and, and tried, to, tried to manipulate her husband. And then, when that didn't work, he had her husband killed. And not just her husband. I'm sure he wasn't the only one that died in that battle because of, of the choices or the decisions that David made that those generals make. But they, he died for sure. And some time has passed. David is now married Bathsheba, and they're about to have a, have a child. In fact, they have a child. So it's been some time since this sin has taken place. But I want you to see what happens in verse 7. Helps him in the right chapter. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Now, there's a story that goes ahead of this, and just for sake of time, we won't read it all, but David's anger is kindled because Nathan tells him a story about a man who stole his neighbor's only sheep. And David said, or Nathan said, David, thou art the man. And suddenly, the word of God spoke to David's heart. Immediately, he knew he had sinned. He didn't say, Bathsheba made me do it. I was, I was there, I was lonely, it wasn't my fault. I, I, you know, and, and, and she really put the pressure on me when, when uh, Uriah wouldn't, you know, we, when we couldn't trick Uriah. It, it was somebody else's fault. No, David immediately repented of his sin. Now that doesn't mean there weren't consequences to his sin. That baby died. But for days, he fasted and prayed, seeking the mercy of God, not for himself, but for that child. Psalms 51, one of the greatest chapters on repentance ever written, was written by David in response to this. He said, against thee, God, only have I sinned. What was the difference between David and Saul? Both were confronted in their sin. What was the difference? God had David's heart. God had David's heart. He never had Saul's. Can I tell you, this is the most important thing to God, is that he has your heart. Say, well, I'm coming to church. Good. I'm, I'm serving here. Good. I'm doing this. Good. 
Does he have your heart? Because without all that, it's an empty, vain show of religiosity. I'm making up words today. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity unless God has your heart. Here's a question today. The only question. Does God have your heart? Do you love what he loves? Does your love for God drive your, your, your obedience to him? Or is it a, out of duty? Is it out of, uh, well, because I'm a member of this church and it's what's expected of me. It's, it's because, well, I, I, I'm a, I say I'm a Christian, so that's what people expect. Or, or is it because you love God? Do you repent when God's work convicts you? Do you find joy in your relationship with him? All God wants is your heart. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, and as we see Jonah here struggling, Lord, we don't get a final answer from him. I, I, I honestly, I believe that, uh, that in the end, you got his heart. But Lord, I think that you left it blank for a reason. Lord, I think it was because each one of us have to come to the conclusion whether or not you have ours. God, I pray that you would just have your way with us. I pray that, it, that uh, if there's one here today that the heart is hardened, that they may be being obedient, they may be actively uh, obedient, but Lord, they may, they may not ha- you may not have their heart. God, I pray that that one would come to you. Lord, if there's one here today that's not saved, Lord, I'm grateful for your mercy and grace, and I pray that that today that you might show them their need of salvation and they can come to you in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes.